Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, uh, digital editor of FT Advisor. It's been about a year now since most of us started working from home. In fact, this podcast is being recorded almost to the day that uh, the FT started working from home. And I don't think many people expected this to last quite as long as it has. But here we are. So what can we learn from the past year from a financial advice perspective? How have advisors adapted over the past year? And what can those uh, lessons mean for how they run their businesses going forward? With me to help discuss this are three people representing firms of varying different sizes. Neil Moles, Chief Executive of Progeny Group, Lee Hartley, Chief Executive of Fairstone, and Victor Sachs, Director of VS Associates. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Hi there. So I think it's fair to say that most people assumed, uh, certainly I did, that this would uh, be something that would last a few months and then we'd all get back to normal. How do you feel that you've adapted over the past year as it's been uh, become clearer and clearer that this is going to last a little bit longer than many people planned. Um, Neil, what about you? Uh, thank you, Damon. I think, yeah, no one expected the daffodils to be growing again a year on and we're still locked in our houses. Um, I think more important, the clients are locked in their houses still. So look, we, we look back 12 months and you, yeah, it is 12 months pretty much to the day since Progeny locked down and sent everyone home. At that time, we all thought we were having a, a three-week break. I think as a business, uh, initially, you know, I think as an industry, everyone thought this was a temporary transition. Um, but now it's become a permanent one. And, you know, I think the majority of the advice business now has, has moved on to, to click, um, onto virtual meetings in various other ways. I think in, in part, and I think I said this the last time I spoke to yourselves, Damon, I think the industry is still catching up in a, in a big, big way. Um, I think the advice community is, uh, has come together uh, and performed fantastically to support our clients, many of which were vulnerable in the last 12 months, many of which needed just a telephone call because they weren't getting support from anyone else. Um, and I think, you know, it's not about tax advice sometimes. It's not about anything else. It's just being the voice at the end of the phone. So I think as an industry, and this is not about any individual firm, I think we've performed amazingly well. Um, you know, clearly there'll be individuals that haven't done so, but collectively we've done well. However, I think it, the technology in the industry is still very much now catching up. Um, you know, why can't we have DocuSign on every document, you know, throughout the industry right now? Yeah, it's kind of pathetic that we don't. It's kind of pathetic that providers are still forcing me to send people into to our office to open post and post it back out because they can't cope. They're putting our, our people at risk because they've not evolved fast enough. So as an industry, I think we've performed well. I think we've seen many permanent changes now, and I do not expect to see a return to the way we used to work. I think we have a responsibility to learn from what the, the good things that have come out of this, and we have a responsibility to map those good things versus the other ways that we used to do things and create a new profession, a new industry, a new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And Lee, from the point of view of a, of a slightly bigger firm, how have you adapted over the past year? I think we've adapted about as well as we could have. Uh, there's nothing where I look back and say that we, we did that too quickly or too slowly, or we took a, a deeper cut where we should have done something a little bit more sizable. It's a little bit strange because it feels like everything has changed, but nothing has changed. Um you know, there was lots of movement in the very early days. You know, everybody had to adapt to a new working environment, uh, agile working, remote working, call it what you will. 
But since then, everything has settled down into a fairly consistent, quite natural rhythm. So from a client perspective, I think we've hardly skipped a beat. Remote advice for pretty much everyone has become the default position. We implemented a new zero-touch platform that's been accepted phenomenally well, both by clients, both by advisors. We moved our market updates and our company updates from monthly to weekly to ensure that we stay in close contact with all parts of the business. I agree completely with Neil. I think the the kind of the more pastoral care element of what we do has really come into the foreground and less about giving clients uh, a review of portfolio and more about making sure that clients know that you're there. Um, you know, one of the most successful things that we did is we implemented a series of fireside chats on an evening, you know, with a beer or a glass of wine in hand. And we can talk about anything. Uh, and uh, uh, for colleagues and clients alike, I think the main the main thing was just to know that we're there. Same as everybody else, you know, we transitioned to electronic signatures very early. Many firms that have done the same seem to be pushing providers uh, to up their game in that regard. So things feel very... Uh, you know, the word normal has been overused uh, over the last 12 months, but things feel very normal right now. And if this was it, that's fine. You know, clearly we hope it's not going to be it. But I think the sector as a whole is one that can adapt to these kinds of market conditions, uh, these kinds of working conditions extremely well. So, um, no wonder it has shone a spotlight on the attractiveness of firms in the sector to investment uh, coming from outside. So, you know, we're feeling pretty bullish about where we are and feeling pretty bullish about the future. And I'm looking forward to the great British summer that uh, Horace says that we're allowed to have. But from a, a working perspective, you know, I, I think we should all thank our lucky stars that we are in a sector where we can deliver the services that we deliver to clients remotely. And, you know, for all of us, that is more by luck than by design. How well individual firms can adapt will clearly be down to their, their ability to execute. But, you know, we are, we are some of the lucky ones. Hmm. And Victor, you're, as, a, as a nimble, uh, smaller firm, um, are you able to sort of um, weave... Uh, your way in and out while Neil and Lee are lumbering around. Well, I'm liking, I'm liking the uh, pugilistic references here. Um, I think there's been a few things. There's a one-person practice, and I've said that before. So I'm at the sharp end of. I, I couldn't understand how I could be as I could be nimble and Aviva and Prue and other platforms couldn't. You know, I, I can't, I could not hide behind, and Neil touched on this last time we had this discussion. Uh, and what's coming to sharp focus is what platforms are doing superbly well and what have just left me personally high and dry with, please, you know, please hold on. Um, let's wait 45 minutes for a phone call. And I've got fellow IFAs who've got bereavements to deal with and, um, you know, insurance payouts. And they are just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And consequently, for me, my learning point is there'll be a massive amount of platform replatforming for my clients, where if I've not had the service, then how can I recommend that platform for my clients? 
So that that's part one. Part two, delighted that the clients are with me. You know, I, I, I am that one person. And March, April, May last year, we saw markets go down. And where, however well-placed your portfolios were, your clients were going to have some downtime. And and as much as we talk about, you know, it's time in the market, not timing the market, the accessibility that all of them have got that can go on and can see it drop down. And with that, I saw my business going down with it. Um, and I was very blessed that clients took took hold, understood, like Lee, when Lee mentioned the, the weekly touch-in, I was emailing and calling on a weekly basis to, to clients, just letting them know that I was around, that I, I, I was here and in an invisible world trying to become visible. The business grew over the 12 months. When I, when I look at the figures from March, um, March December 19, uh, 19 to then March, December 20, so the business grew, which was amazing. Um, and what this has taught me is where I'm trying to be the go-to guy for business owners in Huntingdonshire. Which, you know, where I'm based because I'm thinking this is, you know, I'm only going to be the local person. What's taught me is using the medium of Zoom, Teams, Meetup, whatever, I could be anywhere and any, at any point in the country. I don't have to restrict myself to just being here. So, yeah, lots you of You could even be in Barbados. Um, well, no, because then there'll be various restrictions and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> I'd, no, but it, I, it's a shame. But there we go. And certainly the Caymans would be appealing. Um, but yeah, there, there's been there's been some real downs, which unfortunately is I'm not sure we'll touch on this more. Is platforms and now and now they they've been. Um, but the upside is, is the, how nimble I can be because it is just me. Hmm. And if, if I just stay with you, uh, Victor, for this next question, what, how do you feel about the next few months? We've been told now about pubs reopening and as you, haircuts are potentially happening. And, uh, as you can, the, the three of you can probably see uh, that I'm uh, quite keen for that to happen. How do you feel about uh, potentially reverting back to the way you did things in February 2020? Or are you going to continue as you're doing now? I, I guess the other point of learning was that I had across the spec my the age group of my clients sort of thirty to sixty in the main. There, there's outliers younger than thirty, and there's a handful over the over sixty, purely based on the dynamics of the client that I have. And it was really interesting that there were equally as many thirty year olds who wanted to meet face to face as there were sixty year olds. It wasn't all with the younguns who were quite happy with the tech, and the older guys and girls. And say older guys, they're my age. Um, you know, w- wanting to to meet up. There was, across the age group, the touching points were, were different. And a lot of my clients are local to me. So the idea of meeting up in a village green or the village pub and chatting and talking would just be be part of it. Um, I've, do I see a, a change? Yeah, I see myself embracing this, the video technology, a lot more. DocuSign, platforms getting involved, you know, doc share, everything else that goes with it and being on this type of platform means you don't have to. Clients can sit there in their pyjamas if they want to and have a natter with me at five o'clock with a glass of wine and a beer. They're relaxed. The only difficulty that I have 
is that in order to show engagement, I'm staring at the tiny dot on the laptop. Hmm. I'm not looking at you guys personally because you would see my eyes drop away from giving you the visual experience. So to gauge body language and to actually have a conversation, that's the difficulty. So there are times when actually meeting up or seeing the person is a key key component. Um, and as far as vulnerable, we've all become vulnerable. It isn't just age group now where you're dealing with a certain sector. You know, they, they, I, God forbid, but the, the mental health issues of our clients could be could be anywhere and any age group. And I think for the time being, until uh, until whenever, I think there has to be an element of treating every client as potentially vulnerable purely because of the unusual circumstance that we find ourselves in. So I think we're going to have to do some face-to-face. And I think for all of us to get out of our four walls, that's no bad thing. But I think maybe exception rather than the norm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neil, what do you think? Um, I agree with a lot of what Victor's just said. In fact, all of it, actually. But we have to listen to clients. You know, ultimately, we're nothing without clients. Um, ironically, platforms are nothing without us, so we'll talk about that later. Um, so we have to listen to clients. You know, the one thing you know people need is a hug and a haircut. I think I said that nine months ago. Um, more people, some people need a haircut more than a hug. Let's face it. But um, you know, I think there's, there's there's a reality that we're going to have to go and see clients again because it's the right thing to do. You know, we, we we are emotional coaches as much as we are financial planners, and maybe that's what financial planning is ultimately becoming. So to sit in front of someone and spend an hour with them, finding out about their lives and working out what's been going on in the last 12 months, it's, you know, it's, it allows them to escape as well. Um, and just to see a human being for a lot of people is going to be a really important thing and share that experience. I mean, literally for every meeting now, I have to make my own cup of tea. It will be nice to go to a meeting where someone does it for me. Um, the, these are the big things that we're missing. I promise you, let alone a cake. Okay. Um, so, we, we, we are definitely going to go and see people, 100%. Are we going to transition into a more virtual world? Yes. You know, we, we've worked on the principle, as many good firms do, as many firms do, of face-phone email. Okay? Email should be our last way of contacting a client. The phone is always a good way. But now, actually, what we're finding is those 15-minute phone call catch-ups that we used to have with clients are now on Zoom or Google or whatever else. So we're actually seeing clients a lot more than we ever used to, and we're engaging with them in a whole different way. You know, to Lee's point on marketing, yes, we ramped up our marketing, you know, hugely as well. Some clients love it, some hate it. Yeah, there's balance here as well. But the responsibility is ours to learn now. Um, listen to clients, go and see them. Let's, you know, let's go and do a face-to-face with every client if we have to in the next six months once it's safe to do so. And then listen, come back, back to the drawing board. How do we embrace technology? How do we still deliver service to clients that they need? Um, and more importantly, I think, you know, to Victor's point again, we can reach more clients now. You know, if we're not traveling for 10, 12 hours a week, can we service more clients? There's a, there's a risk here that we'll end up servicing too many clients and not doing it properly because you're jumping from one meeting to the next. So I still think there has to be balance, and I still believe that there has to be you know, some, some good numbers around that in terms of numbers of clients per planner. Because very quickly, we can, we can get to the wrong side of it and end up with too many clients. So there's a lot we can learn. Embracing technology is great. Um, and I think also for the advice industry, 
You know, every meeting can now be recorded, potentially, with client consent. Surely that's a good thing for compliance. Surely it's a great thing for training. And really to try and improve the standards of this industry once and for all. You know, we've got far too many people moaning about the FSCS levy. Well, this industry created it. It didn't just arrive last week in the post. We created it through, you know, massive, huge advice problems that we've created in the last 30 years. And maybe this is an opportunity to start to remove it, to de-risk and say to insurers, our PI insurers, look, every meeting's recorded with client consent. Come and watch. We actually, we will we do the things we say we're going to do to you. So look, in, in summary, Damon, I think there's, there's a heck of a lot we, we can learn. First of all, foremost, listen to clients, because that's important, right? And then if we can learn anything and improve it and create efficiencies, fantastic. All of which have to deliver better client outcomes and a better working environment for the financial advice industry. Mm-hmm. And, and Lee, how about you? How is uh, Fairstone going to uh, transition through the next few months, I guess? Uh, truthfully, we don't exactly know because, you know, as much as the entry into the COVID world was unknown, the, the exit to the post-COVID world is, is also unknown. So I, I'm a big believer in not making definitive statements until you know all the facts. And I think the only thing that I'm pretty certain of, it's not going to be like it was before. It's not just going to be a revert back to... physical, 100% face-to-face. There are a lot of good things that have come out of the last 12 months. You know, leveraging technology in the right way, and, you know, that old adage about those who leverage tech tend to win. It's not all about the client-facing aspect. You know, we're delivering training remotely. We're doing biz dev remotely. We all seem to have more time, and that's a great thing. Moving to an agile working strategy for staff, you know, that is very much part of our thinking even when lockdown comes to an end. You know, that's that's being seen as a big lifestyle benefit for a lot of our colleagues. Uh, we're using tech to deliver some really noticeable efficiency, so why wouldn't we want to hold on to that? But, it, it, you know, I think our view is no different to many people's views, which is we're going to try and hold on to the best parts of both. It's going to be a bit of hybrid. Yes, we're going to be doing more things remotely. For efficiency and efficacy as much as you know the 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 general kind of uh you know health and hygiene factors i I think with more time we can become a better industry as well you know we're running around less we're traveling less we're not traveling the length and breadth of the country because everything is accepted as needing to be done face to face so uh, I, i do think there's a lot of good that can come from these new working patterns exactly how they will settle down exactly what they will look like we're keeping an open mind over but we will definitely leverage tech wherever we can and i think with that addition of more time it could help the industry become a profession it could give everybody the time to spend on the stuff that usually gets pushed to the back of the queue you know the cpd the training the the personal development all that kind of stuff so you never know. It could make us a, a better industry all round and actually be the tipping point of moving from an industry into a true profession. Mm. And, and we've touched on on tech issues. I suppose the response from different providers of technology, or whether that be platforms or, or whatever, has been a hit and miss, I suppose you could say. How should um, 
advisors and firms respond to that, Lee? What's, what's your, how have you responded to it? To be fair, because one, I've never been client facing. You know, I have, I don't say this as a badge of honor, but I have no financial services qualifications. I've never sat in front of the client and I've never given advice. So that perfectly qualifies me for doing the job that I do. My response to all that is, well, you know, I tend to think a bit more like a customer. But from a tech challenge perspective, yes, there have been niggles, but we haven't really encountered anything significant. I think the only thing that is material out there is that the inability of platforms, providers, investment houses to get up to speed with electronic signatures as much as advisors can, because that is a weakness in the chain. And if that can be bridged, then an entirely remote advice process can be delivered. And it it seems so simple, but it, it appears to be so hard for some quite archaic, quite large businesses to get up to speed with. But for, for us, that was really the only thing that we've we've had to provide a workaround for. Mm-hmm. Victor, as somebody who is definitely client-facing, how have you handled this issue? It's, it, it just is really frustrating. It really is. You're, you're there, you know, DocuSign for me as a one-licensed individual doesn't cost the earth. And you'll do everything, and there'll still be firms that will want, an, you know, an honor ego transfer form, and you know, someone like say Prudential with it. Let's let's use it. Prudential teaches AVC that you want to go and have a look at, and the, everything has got to be squid ink and parchment. You know, there, there's just no nowhere around it. Yeah, there's some old legacy stuff out there from various different providers, and they will still only use paper they'll only use the, the real ink and paper and in fact one company offered me a fax number <laughs> yeah you know you, you just you're sitting there and really and then it the, and i get it you know i can imagine you've got big company massive huge big platform providers that we all know love slash eight and they're trying to work remotely and everyone's you know but the thing is, we all know. I've got my, you know, during the year, my nine-year-old son is opposite me on my kitchen table. I don't have an east wing and a west wing. It's a, a semi-detached house. So we all sit around the kitchen table. My wife's working, doing her job. I'm doing mine. My kids are now. I've got all that going on. But I can deliver the service to my client. And I rely on these bigger and greater firms that can throw six and seven figures at the tech to be able to help and support me. And I am metaphorically caught with the proverbials down my ankles. It was a year of frustration on that part. It really was. Mm. Do you approach that by just quitting, leaving a company? I mean, just to follow up on that, if if a company leaves you like that, do you can you just ditch them, or I guess you can't just start suddenly just up and take everything from a platform, can you? Yeah, you just re-platform. At the end of the day, obviously, you've got to be careful of exit fees and costs and charge, and that's where uh, you know, O&M, Synaptics, Dunham, whatever, whatever software you're using will tell you whether that's right or wrong. And if it still comes back that they're the best platform, then it's still a conversation with the client and say, listen, I've had this experience during these last 12 months. And just because O&M says they are top of the tree, Running alongside that has to be an experience of some description. And I've got due diligence to use my experience of the platform, which may not represent the client, but I can only go on the experience I've got. And would it change me to use them? Yeah, it would. 
Neil, what have uh, how have you guys at um, Progeny um, approached this issue of tech? Um, I think if we you know, to focus on the, the platform or the insurance company market for you know for a moment, then yeah, they failed. We, we know that. We all know that. You know, I think the industry, certainly the insurance companies, it's just a, a product of you know too many acquisitions, failed integrations, um, and where shareholders have been put ahead of clients yet again. You know, integrations cost money. Um, it costs a hell of a lot of money to do it properly and replatform, you know, everything onto one IT system so that they can deliver the future. You know, ultimately, what will happen now is people will choose, people will select against them, and yes, you can replatform. Absolutely, of course, you can, and you should, um, if it's the right thing to do for the client, um, because leaving them where they are just almost promotes it. Um, I think what will happen, and we're seeing it, you know, there are there are new platforms arriving uh, with better connectivity. Um, with open APIs, um, and they will succeed in the short term um, because they're the, the new guy in town and the new thing, the new thing to market. So you know, they will succeed, and people will will select against. Um, I think the the fluidity uh, between platforms will only increase. Um, clearly, you know, subject to regulation, it's not that hard to move between platforms anymore. So yeah, people should should select against and. But, you know, as a, we have to come together as an industry. And, and, and Lee's right. He used the I word. We're not a profession. You know, we almost push back against being a profession. Um, and we are an industry, and it's, it's pathetic. Frankly, we have to come together. The advice industry now has got an opportunity to come together, you know, for, for myself and Lee and Victor and others to, to get around tables and share experiences. You know, in, as one voice, we're nothing independently. As one voice together, yeah, we carry a lot of weight. Um, and hopefully we can use that for some positive outcomes and drive providers, drive insurance companies to listen if they want to retain their clients. So we need we need a professional advice industry in, in, in this country and one that clients believe in, one that clients trust in. And generally speaking, they do trust independent advice. So how do we now embrace technology to, to further improve that? But it's not just technology that's going to drive us out of this and create a profession. It's coming together. There are enough clients out there. We're not fighting for each other's clients. In fact, there aren't enough financial planners out there to deal with the clients that we've got properly. And that is probably one of our biggest challenges, let alone recruiting, training, and developing the next generation of planners and clients. Um, so we've got massive problems. And only if we come together properly, we're going to solve this um, and push back against you know, the Goliaths, so-called, that are out there um, and in, with one voice. Not ten, not thirteen thousand, as we are represented at the moment in the in the UK. Mm. Touching on, on, I suppose, the issue of Goliaths, um, Lee. I just wanted to move to you. I wanted to sort of pick up on an issue that you raised a little earlier, which was the amount of money that has started to flow into the sort of financial advice sector, but in in the just just in the last couple of months alone. Do you see that as being something that's going to accelerate? From the, yeah. from the point of view of somebody who is acquisitive, yeah, uh, absolutely, I do. And you know, all you have to do is pick up the trade press over the last uh, few months or so for for the very clear evidence of that. You know, let's be honest: the long term dynamics of retail wealth management in the UK are extremely strong. And what the last few months have also shown, and what the last year has shown, is the value of the financial advisor. Uh, I think that is one of the consequences of the pandemic. You know, advisors are the most valuable and most influential element in the whole 
stack of service providers that are required to deliver wealth management to, to clients. But it's also shown that advisors are the only people that interface with the client regularly, are joined at the hip uh, with clients, and who genuinely care about clients' best interests. So add that to the fact that you know regulation will continue to act as a catalyst for consolidation. Add it to the fact that assets in the long term are expected to continue to grow. We have an aging population that are getting wealthier. And you know the pandemic has also highlighted the value of robust recurring income that stands up to market volatility. So they are all very, very positive attributes for a buyer, for an investment bank coming in, for private equity, for the for the listed markets. So there is lots of money coming into the sector. So that's great for advisors who want to crystallise value and exit. I have some concerns whether some of it is necessarily good for the sector. I get the commercial case for vertical integration. I really do. You know, you can put it into the spreadsheet and it delivers a return on investment. But let's not be under any doubt. Vertical integration is there for the benefit of the shareholders of those businesses. It's not there for the benefit of clients. And a lot of this money is coming into models where it is the vertical integration and the capture of more margin, reduction in choice for clients and increase in charging for clients that will drive the return on investment. So I do have some real concerns about that. I do think there are some uneducated purchasers coming into the sector and they're buying and storing up problems rather than buying robust assets. And there seems to be a, a, a real blind obsession with acquisitions right now. So there's a huge amount of buying, but I don't see a great deal of building. You know, there is scant regard being given to what is actually being built. So for a lot of people out there, you know, we absolutely detest the term consolidation. We're not a consolidator. You, you, you know, consolidation seems to just be the focus on the acquisition as the thing that drives value rather than creating a unified business. So, yeah, there is a lot of investment coming into the space and there are good aspects to that and there are some less good aspects to that. And, you know, one thing that I do uh, say is a bit of a catchphrase is buying businesses is the easiest thing in the world. Don't let anybody convince you that it's hard. You know, creating one robust business out of a collection of acquisitions is much, much more difficult. But that is where all of the value add is. That's 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 the benefit. And, you know, this multiple arbitrage that everybody is chasing, it isn't just for a bigger business. People don't pay more just because a business is bigger. It has to be a better business. And that better business needs to be around, you know, better client outcomes, alignment of proposition, consistency in charging, consistent delivery of, very good service to clients just buying things and putting them together that doesn't deliver value that doesn't deliver a better outcome for anyone and because that does appear to be the strategy behind a lot of the cash coming into the sector that's why i'm not entirely positive about this there are good bits but there are some things that i have you know some things that really should carry a cautionary warning sign as well and victor as someone at the other end of that I suppose, potential transaction, not to suggest that you might be looking to sell or are, um, but the amount of money that's sort of pouring in to uh, this area at the moment, is that something that you are aware of uh, as an advisor? Is that something that 
potentially changes the way you where you run your business. Are you concerned about it over the next couple of months, years, perhaps? Unless it affects my clients directly, then you know, no. I the change. How can I say? So my experience can only possibly be on name changes. So Alliance Trust goes to Embark. Let's let's look at that. Embark go and pick up Zurich. You know, so when, for example, so where that at that end of money, you know, I, I use um, I'm a Sense Network AR guys who do, obviously weren't aware, but uh, you know, so when IO is now having a facelift, you know, they could be spending gazillions on it. it at the end of the day, as long as I can get in and see what the client needs to see, great. Embark take over Zurich. It was an overnight, nothing changed. Embark take over Alliance Trust. The lights went out. I've had to re re-input everything, even though I was never told I would have to re-input everything. That's where, and I look at the money that was being sold. My own network, Sense Network, got bought out. You know, has it affected me? No. And am I going to run away because the owners have changed or everything else? No. I came out of HSBC. I worked there for 15 years. Change was part of the daily regime and daily regulation you know until it nothing affected me and i've still run that now as best i can to say unless it is going to affect the way i do my business and work with my clients i'll let other people above me worry about it and maybe that's wrong and maybe that's ignorance i don't know these two great stalwarts that are on this call will tell me, no, you're right, you're wrong, or, or, or whatever. But for me, running a 10 million AUM business that allows me to, to have a life-work balance, you know, that's the important stuff to me is life and work. And if it affects life and work, then I'm interested and I'm all ears. And if it doesn't affect my life and my work, other people who are above me at Sense Network or at platforms or whatever... But when it does affect me, it shouldn't because I'm too far down the chain, is my belief. Neil, is Victor right? <laughs> oh, Victor's always right. I'm not arguing with him. <laughs> um, look, I, I agree with, with a lot of what, what Lee and, and Victor have said. Um, you know, I think ultimately clients come first. The, I, I personally think the, the industry right now is, is on life support. I think we've got potential for this industry to be great in the future. But if we're about to undergo, as everyone talks about, the biggest intergenerational transfer of clients that the world has ever seen, how is the industry embracing with the next generation? Because the average age of planners is still the wrong side of 45. We're not engaging with the next generation from a, an age demographic, let alone a technology perspective. So tell me how private equity is going to change that. It's not. Private equities, and, and, and Lee's absolutely right, you know, anyone can buy a business. You know, someone once told me, never buy a business if you're bored, because you'll buy the wrong one, or you're forced into it. And, yeah, consolidation is easy. Um, integration is hard, and it is hard. Um, you know, we've done over a, what, a dozen uh, investments, as I would like to call them now, not acquisitions for that reason, and every single one is fully integrated. But that is one of the biggest challenges I've ever, ever seen and faced, as an industry, what the numbers kept banded about, you know, 13,000 firms, 26,000 planners. I'm sure it's gone down or up in the last 24 hours, so I'll be wrong. But the reality is, you know, the regulator cannot regulate 13,000 firms. 
so it needs less and the balance has to be be addressed you know, in a more sensible fashion the industry still needs people like victor absolutely because you're providing a great service to your clients and promoting a fantastic industry and that's what we need and we have to create a framework where that is still possible because that puts clients at the very heart of what we do which is relationships but is throwing 100 million pounds into something or even more as we've seen recently in the press a good thing no because what i find in business is if you're not spending your own money you don't care actually you're just trying to put shareholders before clients ultimately um so i think it, i think it can be done positively and i think there is some sensible money out there absolutely that's looking at this the right way but if the, if the only way of looking at this if the only vista is consolidation um, vertical integration you know how many times can you clip the same ticket um, or force clients to move onto your platform into your models i mean come on that, was, that happened 20 years ago we don't need that again and there's only clients will lose and we've seen it with some of the the recent acquisition trends where clients have been forced into new models and and they're starting to leave you know, we, we, we're just about to put a press release out for a new acquisition. Uh, and I said to the principal, we're going to be honest about this because it's not great for clients. We're not going to say, oh, it's fantastic for us. It's fantastic for you. It's fantastic for our clients because it ain't. Because change is painful. The client is going to have to undergo a change when we make that investment in that new firm. So let's be honest with them and say, these are the things that are going to happen. These are the benefits to you. And actually, yeah, there might be some downsides in this as well. But let's put clients first and be honest in, in that process. Um, so I think, can we take it off life support? Can, can we start a new industry? Actually, can we start a profession? Yes, we can. If we all come together and do this properly, embrace technology, you know, provide a, a framework for, for younger planners to come into the industry from all walks of life. You know, you shouldn't have to have a Cambridge degree to come and be a financial planner. You should be able to do it from, from any walk of life, from any background. And that's vitally important because otherwise we're only going to connect with people who've got Cambridge degrees as clients. You know, you have to be able to talk on the same level as all other clients as if you want to engage with them. So, yes, and I'm passionate about doing that. I think we can make a change. And, um, you know, I think as long as enough of us can stay independent for as long as we can, then we'll do so. And more importantly, let's come together and, and really effect change. And, and just to wrap up in a sentence, what's the sort of a lesson, Neil, that you're, you've taken from the past year that you're sort of going to take into the into the next 12 months or so? In one sentence. <laughs> Do you want to come back in a week and I'll give you that? I'll, I'll, I'll ask the marketing department. Roughly. Um, <laughs> roughly. Uh, roughly. Um, I don't know. Like, I think the last 12 months has taught us a lot. It's taught us never to assume. Um, it's taught us that clients are resilient um, you know, clients have embraced technology faster than providers. That's embarrassing. So we can change as long as we work together. Now we embrace it and we come out of this with a brighter future than we had in the past. Victor? That we are lucky to be in the profession that we are. You know, I've got clients who furloughed the staff, not being over. I've got a client who supplies fabric to the theatre and music industry. He's got huge premises west end of london you know i've got clients who own restaurants pubs clubs bars you know how lucky are we to be in in the profession that we are for me that's been that sums up my last 12 months mm. Anthony, I, I think the last 12 months for 
for myself, it has demonstrated that there is an even greater need for advice than I thought previously. And I think in some ways the pandemic has proven the case for long-term planning. You know, it has shown the value of, you know, timing the market rather than timing the market, all that kind of good stuff. But it has really emphasized the value that financial advisors bring to the economy as a whole. I agree completely with what Victor has said. You know, we should thank our lucky stars that we are doing the jobs that we're doing in the sector that we're doing. And we have the ability to pivot and be agile and all these kind of buzzwords, but we can do what we need to do from the comfort of our homes and deliver a really good service to clients in a safe and secure way. But I actually think the last 12 months, it has really, it's put advisors at the forefront of the whole space. You know, it, it is advisors that have kind of led the way, looked after clients more than anybody else. It is advisory firms that have changed and adapted the most to make sure that clients were never put in a in a detrimental position. And I, I think that needs to be recognised. And, you know, we've used a few words today um, which have kind of coalesced together, but I do think it could be the tipping point for a, a genuine profession. I, I would say, as a whole, the sector has really stepped up. Financial advisors have really stepped up and proven that they are the most valuable part of the sector. So, yeah, it's been... It's been a very interesting and enlightening 12 months. You know, clearly we would all have chosen not to have gone through it, but I think we've come out at the other end in better shape. Uh, Food for thought. Uh, Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Victor. And thank you, Neil. Uh, And thank you very much for listening and tuning again next week for the next episode of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.